Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Prudcast, takes to the evening, this time from the salubrious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude, located here in Proops Meadows on Hacienda La Proops on Black Lives Matter Boulevard. Once again, we join hands and join hearts as we soar into the ether. My name's Greg. Who are you, lady? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. So nice to see you again here in the consortium. Nice, yeah, nice running into you. Yeah, this uh, place is so big that sometimes I miss you when I'm down in the bowling alley or the water polo place or out in the lily pad pond. Hey, everybody, why are you playing David Bowie? Um, Yamamoto is swirling in the heavens. Kansai Yamamoto, the designer who famously did uh, Ziggy Stardust and this awesome album, Aladdin Sane. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the cat from Japan. Yeah. Indeed. Um, he said that some sort of chemical reaction took place. My clothes became part of David, his songs, and his music. They became part of the message he delivered to the world. And what I love is in this GQ uh, tribute to Yamamoto, they mentioned that Bowie was an avowed fan of Little Richard. Really? And about his visual appearance, inseparable oh, from the music. Look at that. Look yeah. at those apples. Um, that jumpsuit that was in the Bowie exhibit, that wonderful Tokyo Pop yeah. jumpsuit, the uh, black, it's a light fabric uh, with billowing uh, trouser legs and arms. Uh huh. It actually uh, had studs or snaps so that you could, like, a, uh, it's stage pull costume. Pull yourself in and pull yourself Yeah, in so yeah. you could do a rapid costume Right, so you could change. do a quick change. Now, Tokyo Pop Outfit's the one that's is all stripes and then the gigantically rounded um, hips and then the little red boots that stick out the bottom. Apparently, he based that on Bauhaus and uh, Portuguese sailors. Really? But it's, it's so far gone from that. Um, it's so fanciful, and it was really a standout, I thought, in the Bowie show. Oh, you mean that? What was the name of that um, the museum show that he did about himself before? VNA. Yeah, we saw it like 2013 so or whatever. David Bowie is. David Bowie is, right. And the logo for the show, if you recall, fantastically wasn't Let's Dance or any of the stuff that sold so much. It was the Aladdin Sane logo. Mm -hmm. That's what they used on everything. It's so recognizable. Not Ziggy, but Aladdin. Mm -hmm. The one where he's got this uh, uh, fantastic blue and red arrows across his, or lightning bolts across his face. And I have three pieces of fan art that people have given me over the years. When David Bowie swirled off into the heavens and more than that, because do you remember the coasters too? Oh yeah, that we right. Gave to Jim, they were those were knitted coasters. Someone sewed yeah, those, those coasters. Yeah, those were lovely. And there was Ziggy, and there was uh, Aladdin Sane, and um, a later incarnation, and then there was a, an embroidery that someone did of all of the little Bowies, right. and they were and all little tiny little Bowies. Needlepoint. Needlepoint. A really lovely needlepoint, and Jim is a fair passing fan of Bowie. Yeah, J Bowie our, expert. Jim's Jim's uh, Sweeney is the biggest Bowie fan in the world. So this one's for you, Jim. Let me just spin it. Yamamoto. Yamamoto started, he was like the only 
Japanese designer working in London in the early 70s. Well, Bowie was attracted to his stuff and met him, and they worked together from 73 on. Um, the red kabuki boots, it says. So the embroidery was so beautiful. It was every stage of David Bowie. It was the eye patch. It was Aladdin saying. Mm -hmm. It was Ziggy. It was... And the little the knitwear. And it, didn't it say that? There's a star man in the sky. Uh -huh. And so Jim, our good buddy, so you know him from the Comedy Store Players, and if you're a fan of children's television of the 80s, Jim and uh, Steen hosted a, a kid's show on BBC Two. Um, that he, uh, he's only the funniest improviser in the world. And he uh, has a pub that he runs out of where he's living now, in, uh, <laughs> up in Nutfield. And um, he has the embroidery up in his room, which I'm very proud of, and the coasters. And then the other piece, when uh, David swirled off, in 2017, was it? You were in Portland, right? Yeah. And a woman gave me... And I've, I've tweeted it many times. She came up to me and she bought clearly what was a, a, a rook, I mean a knight, from a garden chest set. In other words, the scale of it, it's a three feet tall horse head. And she painted it as a zebra with the... Um, it Latin. is indeed Ziggy Zebra. Yeah, and she gave it to me, and it's so boss. What else is boss is that Mick Ronson's the guitar player on this oh. first album. By the way, the, that Bowie VNA show was their most visited. Yeah, Victoria and Albert never had so many people. One more because I can't resist. And everybody likes Bowie, right? Yamamoto said he knew when he wore my clothing on stage he could elicit a strong reaction from the audience. I should think so. Um, indelible. And um, there's a Pinterest page that's got a lot of Yamamoto and um, of course. Uh, the, the Tokyo Pop is right on top. Uh, the, the What looks to be that Matadori one with the giant vinyl red gum boots. Um, a, lot of, a lot of groovy if you go to the Rolling Stone article and click on that, uh, it, it's a, it leads you to an awesome Pinterest page. Um, David Bowie's always missed. That was the beginning of what was what we thought might have been the worst year ever, 2016, and now we're into this year. So let's celebrate the fact that we had Yamamoto and have David Bowie to have and hold forever. Um, if you think I'm playing too much, reach into your heart and forgive me. If you dare. There's heroes everywhere. As David Bowie said, we can be heroes just for one day. Um, Lieutenant J.G. Madeline G. Sweagle received her wings of gold weeks after completing tactical strike training on July and becoming the first black female strike pilot in the history of the United States Navy. Uh, they had a little small ceremony down in Texas at Naval Air Station in Kingsville. Um, and the Rear Admiral 
who is also a woman, Sarah Joyner, uh, of Legislative Affairs, said she's incredibly proud of Lieutenant J.G. Swiegel and her classmates and welcomed them all to the fleet. She's the first female strike pilot after completing training on July 7th. A strike pilot flies the Navy's strike aircraft, including the fighter jets. Um, and think of all the people who've worked so hard, um, all the women who are running for office this time who are veterans. Mm -hmm. It's astonishing. And um, I know I read something the other day about MJ Hagar uh, was explaining her tattoo on her arm. Mm -hmm. uh, she was shot down by the Taliban and she wanted to cover the uh, fragments, the bullet fragments in her arm. Wow. Well, this might and be. She's good. running. She. Oh. I have loads of women here. Let, let's do that a little bit later and go okay. to. Uh, I want to talk about um, some of the other heroes. Um, uh, we were uh, talking about Portland last week, and of course, this has been a week of celebrating John Lewis home. So it's been fantastic. It was what he he, he took a cortege around the country basically mm -hmm. for six days. Was it? And he lay, he lie in state. He lay in state. Uh, at the Capitol Rotunda. He was the first black lawmaker to lie in state in the Rotunda How about at the Capitol. How about that? I know Rosa Parks got to lie there, and she was the first black woman ever to be. Right. And uh, Elijah Cummings was in a, in a separate room. But uh, it, was, it was very moving. Uh, Speaker Pelosi chose his words to be played mm -hmm. um, while people paid their respects. Uh, Biden and his wife came... Uh, yes, notable from uh, his absence was uh, the Grinch, but the, yes. everyone else in the world was there, and and uh, you know it's just like to have someone that important to American history and such um, a brave hero who stood for it up to the second, up to the last second. So mm -hmm. here's a story from, and he was in Congress with with uh, Nancy Pelosi for over thirty years, yeah, thirty three years, and um, his last public appearance wasn't supposed to be public. Uh, the photographer uh, who took the pictures of him at Black Lives Matter Plaza, 57 years after he'd been the youngest speaker at the March on Washington, were supposed to be private snapshots. Photographer Gary Williams Jr. had been quarantining with his parents, his wife, and their kids. And an unexpected message appeared. It was from the chief of staff of Lewis, Michael mm -hmm. Collins. The second in, uh, in charge of his staff was mm -hmm. Jamila Thompson. Right. Uh, asking whether he'd be available the next morning. And Williams thought it was a press thing. They, they wanted to write, um, uh, Kesha Lancebottom said, authorized the city workers to write Black Lives Matter in giant letters on 16th Northwest. Right, the mayor of D.C. Right, right next to where it meets the White House. And he just wanted some pictures. Wow. So they went. It's in the Washington Post, but I know the Washington Post is behind a paywall for a lot of people, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit of it. The plan was to go first thing in the morning before the crowds, the three of them, Lewis, Collins, and Williams, uh, the 30-year-old co-founder of Black-owned D.C. creative agency. But Williams wanted to give Lewis a bird's-eye view and had to enlist the friends in the mayor's office to get access to a rooftop that was closed because of the pandemic. So this is the part you're not going to believe. He, John Lewis had gone through a round of chemo the day before. Um, that's what Steve Chaff, Steve. Uh, Chief well, of staff also, or Chief of chaff. I, I have a lot of chaff that I steef because sometimes you have to clear the wheat from the chaff. While he was undergoing his cancer treatment, he also uh, made it to Selma yes. for the anniversary. Unlike some people we could mention. Anyway, and he went, uh, he would go to the hospital the next day. Uh, his chief of staff told uh, Gary Williams that he was, you know, had the chemo the day before. He had a cane and he awesomely, and uh, I think. Hannah, um, who did the 1619 Project for the New York Times, who tweets his Ida Bay Wells, he had a cap that read 1619 and 400 years. 
The significance is not lost on all of us. As he walked to the edge of the roof, everyone got quiet. He didn't say anything, and with his mask on, it was hard to read his facial expression, but you could see it in his eyes. It was a moment of reflection. And I kept saying to myself as I'm taking these pictures, I wonder what he's thinking. And after um, he passed into the heavens, John Lewis, the week before, wrote that fantastic essay for the New York Times that was to be printed upon his demise. Yes, it's just... And he wrote... I just had to see and feel it for myself that after many years of silent witness, the truth is marching on, still marching on, about going into that rooftop and looking down at the mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter that Mr. Williams is um, photo- photographing. Um, you could he, tell in the photos that he felt fierce on the day. Yeah. You know, it, it gave him strength. Oh, my God. And it, it, he's, it's so inspirational. Um Gary Williams said his parents had taught him all about John Lewis and to know that John Lewis was beaten um, savagely many times by the police and kept going, kept fighting. Um, Everything was always about civil rights and voting rights and equality. He was also a beautiful Christian person who saw the best in everyone, Mm -hmm. which I'm struggling with um, right now. There are so many videos of him dancing, celebrating. Mm -hmm. Um, He never forgot anybody that he was working with he was always mr hugs and and have you eaten today and taking care of everybody yes and uh, gary williams brought his um daughter with him uh, and his daughter's a baby as you can see there she's two so there's the picture of john lewis with gary williams his wife and i mean with the gary williams wife and and their daughter um his mother is Crystal, the one who taught him about uh, John Lewis, and his wife's Devon. And then there's the little daughter, Maven. And he said, when Maven's old enough to understand, William plans to tell her who John Lewis was and what he did. Not, what he, not just for the country, but black people specifically. And what he proved possible. If we can endure those hardships and challenges, there's light, William says. There's progress on the other side. On the same day, Lewis saw Black Lives Matter painted on the streets of Washington. He met Maven, and Williams was able to capture the moment when their lives briefly touched. I thought it was such... A wonderful story. He's going to tell his daughter all about John Lewis when she's old enough to understand. I didn't know in, until last week that John Lewis was at the Ambassador Hotel with uh, RFK. Oh my God! He's the just night he was upset that they were they were quite close. Yeah, and he was uh, waiting for him in another room when RFK was assassinated, and John Lewis. Uh, cried all the way home on Mm. the plane to Atlanta but instead of that marking a return to you know private life it emboldened him to become a a politician yes it did and that's when he started running for office and that's when he got into politics and then carried on being in it till the end of his life he always was political but that's when he wanted elective office and um, what a, a amazingly brave mm. attitude to have. Well, the thing that I get is that <clears throat> perseverance and um, that unbelievable courage at all times. Uh, he admitted he was afraid. He admitted they were all afraid before they knew they were going to get their heads cautioned every time they went into this. He said that the, he's smiling, or he's, he has a bit of a smile in that first mugshot because he knew he was on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. The significance of what happened in Selma on Bloody Sunday is always reflective history. As James Baldwin said, you think that you suffered more than anyone else and then you read. Um, I'm mm-hmm. misquoting it terribly. We'll get to that. <laughs> it's James Baldwin's birthday as well. And Peter O'Toole's. We'll get to that too. Uh, is that um, 
the George Floyd moment is is all our Edmund Pettus Bridge moment. For John Lewis, his Edmund Pettus Bridge moment was Emmett Till, he said. He was two, a year older than Emmett Till. And Emmett Till was a nationwide mm-hmm. scandal. Now, the difference was... Right, uh, our friend Mark Crowley, who uh, left us at 84 in March, for him growing up in Mississippi... Uh, he didn't even want us to go to Jackson. Right, to the uh, the abortion clinic. Because for him, it was always about Emmett Till. Yeah. And he thought white people would do violence against you if they saw you doing the right thing, basically, was his view from the 50s. Yes. And, um, well, having grown up there, and he was a gay uh, person in Mississippi in the 50s. Right, whose life was threatened. I don't think he was... By his own relatives. Right, he wasn't safe in his own family. Yeah. this is why we can't give up. If you feel down this week, I understand. We've all felt crazy the last couple of weeks. This week was really wild. But you have to understand, Jennifer and I are here. We've got your back, too. We're still going to push forward. Everything's pushing forward. John Lewis doesn't live just so that we can sit around and whine. Oh, yes, I'm going to drink, but I'm not going to whine as much. <laughs> really? The service was so beautiful because... Like, it was. It was, it was gorgeous. Like, it reminded me of... Um, a little bit of Aretha Franklin's uh, funeral in so much as they had a lot of great people get up and sing and Jennifer mm-hmm. Holliday got up and sang mm-hmm. and whatnot and they sang Amazing Grace but the honesty and fervency that a black church brings to a funeral is this so immediate and so exhilarating and there's no denying Ebenezer it. Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Oh my God. Everybody was so... And then to have a message read from Carter... Clinton, uh, W, and Obama there. Now, I'm not any part of the cutification of W, but we're not going to discuss that tonight because I want to be like John Lewis and have a big open heart for once and not go into the vitriol that I feel for every Republican that's ever breathed. I loved uh, <laughs> his deputy chief of staff, oh, Jamila Thompson's uh, eulogy. It was really... Here, let me read a little bit of it because it it's so really good. Um, Jamila Thompson, Jennifer and I were listening in the car. I had to go to the eye doctor. Surprise! And um, uh, people asked, what was John Lewis like? What was he up close? Or Congressman Lewis. She didn't ever call him John. What was he like in real life? It's too difficult to explain. Our answer is always the same. He was just, as you may imagine, but better. Mm. Uh, so in other words... How about that? Well, you know, someone said, I don't know who it was, I think it was Elvis Presley. Well, Elvis Presley, as your friend Matt so beautifully pointed out, said, know thyself. But he also said, um, uh, your, your actions are your character. Mm-hmm. What you do is who Wait, you are. Wait, are we really yes. quoting? I was joking. I don't, it wasn't yeah. Elvis. What, what you do is who you are, right? So if you're a rat fuck and you spend your whole day fucking people over and thinking evil thoughts and being a, a bad guy, then that's who you are. It's not, you can't. As Quentin Crisp once said, you can't be a pig farmer for 30 years and but, tell everyone you're a violinist. Ballet dancer. Whatever. But, <laughs> but the, uh, the thing about John Lewis was, I mean, what a, a fully realized human being of, of, that he could just charm everyone. And he just seemed to be so in the moment. Right. And bringing his history and bringing his agenda. Everybody knew what he did that worked for him. And it... I can't think of a, of a better life. Well, uh, how long did Jamila Thompson work for him? She worked for him for 10 years or she more, She said right? that unlike other Congress people, he kept everybody around for as long as possible. I seem to remember her saying there was people who'd worked there like 20 years, then yes. the next tier was the 12 to yes. 15 years, then the next tier was the age Usually 10. Usually there's like a four-year turnover. Right, but he, he kept people... 33 years in the house. And apparently he wanted to, to feed them. Well, this is... I wanted to get to Jesse, you want to uh, imagine, but better. I met no day was ever the same. How about that? 
What you know about the Congressman Shreve is a gentleman. He's truly of the people, peaceful soul. He came to the office every day and he would greet every staffer, every fellow, every intern with a good morning, sir, good morning, ma'am. He'd end every request, every successful speech, every successful bill, every hearing, every markup with, thank you, thank you, young brother, thank you, sister, thank you, my child, my dear. In college, we often say there's the freshman 15 that you gain a little bit around. <laughs> that means you, you put on 15 pounds the first year because you ain't been away from home. And I'm putting people, on some pandemic pounds. Oh, I'm uh, um, uh, from now on, I'm Kung Fu Pandemic Proof Panda, and I'll, I will show you the proof. My fulsome waist and my rich, privileged breasts are really a sight to behold. When they glint in the afternoon sun, and I see the squirrels Seriously? gaze at me balefully, yeah. And when I see a crow, or what are they, crows in our neighborhood? We have crows and ravens. Cro well, when I see Heckle and Jekyll um, giving me the, the, the crow eye from the sky, and Ernie Hudson and I share a hamburger together. Um, at the diner underneath where uh, the crow lived and died. Our office was the John Lewis 20. <laughs> because he and Michael, that's Mr. Collins, who we right. talked about in the last article, the chief of staff, would bring in lunch and far, and this part I love, far too often dessert. <laughs> because some cake or some pie or some brownie would be calling out to them in the grocery store. In the grocery store, by the way, they went to the supermarket. I'm guessing they went over to like the Whole Foods in D.C. that's over near, near Congress. I don't think there was any stopping him from anywhere. The, no. There might be baked goods. Uh, and they would want everyone to come together and sit down and share a meal. We were a little family, a little enclave, a lot of drama, a lot of fun, and so much love. He broke down those barriers, and he welcomed our parents, our spouses, our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, our godchildren, and our friends into the circle, making them fit, fall equally in awe of his greatness. Mm. Sometimes the world got a little glimpse of our nest during these impromptu gatherings, and certain videos may go viral. We were like a well-oiled machine when it came to policy and casework. So they worked as hard as they could. Mm -hmm. And a markup for those of you who are wondering, uh, if you didn't take civics, is when you go through the body of a bill. And everyone has to take a piece of it so that they can dissect what's going on in the bill. And a markup means you're, you're calling different places to attention within the body of the bill. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I don't like this clause here that lets the government off the hook for this. I do like this part here where they push forward that. Um, it's also remarkable that his wife passed away eight. Oh my years God! Ago, yeah, eight years ago. Ages and, ago. And she was really the force behind him uh, running successfully, mm -hmm. and he always credited her with that. And and everyone loved her also, but she was the more aggressive character. And right. He said that it was uh, difficult for him to continue, but my God, did he. I think the work really took over after that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, he doesn't really have... He also the... had two really cute cats. Yeah, he does. Um, anyways, if you want to read all this, it's... Uh, uh, let's see, where did I get the Jamila post? Well, um, from Grabby News, G-R... A-B-I-E, News, John Lewis, Deputy Chief of Staff. She didn't get the play because she wasn't a president, because there were so many goddamn headliners there. <laughs> um, what was the cat's name, who's the 92-year-old minister who you just said? Lawson, was it? Lawson. He, um, we watched it on telly, that part, and he... He's, he was actually one of uh, John Lewis's mentors as an activist. That's how old he was. And he's August. still with us. Mm -hmm. And the... the uh, 
amazing thing about him is when he he was quite frail when he got to this to uh, speak at the funeral. Right, I was going to say that he he staggered up but there like he wasn't going to make it. His voice sounded like yeah. he was thirty. Thunder, thunder. There that, was so much good preaching that day. Oh my God! Lawson, uh, the Reverend Lawson, made a, a giant point, and as you know, C.T. Vivian, who was also a Reverend, um, went uh, up into the heavens uh, like the week before this, no, with the same day. John Lewis, the same day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, he he didn't get the. Uh, he was a bit older than John Lewis as well. He was from the previous he was generation. In, he was ninety-five, I believe. Yeah, he had he had set out the lunch counters in the forties, not the sixties. Um, you may remember Barack Obama, the last illegitimate president of the United States. After the last election, I was surprised to hate it and innovate to install a democracy. And well, now we know what Italy's like every year. Um, he spoke. And uh, as you know, uh, Bill Clinton spoke as well, with some controversy. But I will say this. I've seen, we've seen Hillary speak, uh, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton speak, Jesse Jackson speak. Mm-hmm. I saw Jerry Ferraro speak in 84 uh, when she was running for vice president. And I remember loving mm-hmm. her. Um Hillary is a good speaker. She's oh, clear yes. and concise. She's funny and she's direct. Um, I've, she did- see, I've seen her a couple of times mm. and I've always found her delightful. The the smearing of her and her personality. That she was cold and robotic and all that. <laughs> she's not. No. In person, she's quite good. She's good live. And I'm a, I'm a performer and I judge people by how good they are live. Uh, it, because Also, she might be as short as John Lewis. John Lewis and her are under, I, right at the five feet mark. I mean, literally, like, you know when you stand it, you go to the county fair and there's a clown and it has a line painted on it and it says, you must be this tall. They are not that yeah, tall. Yeah, they're not going to. They're not that tall. They don't get to go on the ride. Right. They, they don't get to go on the tilt a whirl. Um, uh, Hillary Clinton and him, enormously short, or ridiculously short? Nominally short. Uh, however, having seen her speak, and I agree with you, she's quite good live. Bill Clinton, we saw speak before she even stood for president. Mm-hmm. And we went downtown um, to some fancy lecture hall. And he got up and spoke off the top of his head for, I don't know, 45 minutes with no notes. No and notes. then the second part was a Q&A. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't thrown her hat in yet. And the, I remember the interviewer said, are you going to um, stump for her if she runs for president? He goes, well, she hasn't decided yet. But if she does, I'm going to pitch in and do my part. But You can always tell he absolutely is in awe of her. Well, and quite right, as I am of you. <laughs> the point is, thank you for that laugh. Uh, the point is, um, he's a superb public speaker. Yes. He can speak with alacrity um, to the point um, because he has a lawyer's mind instead of Hillary uh, and Barack Obama, too, all three being um, highly placed lawyers. Um, he's able to not only... Bill has that extra thing of folksiness because out of nowhere in the middle of a diatribe that includes a thousand details and facts. And at that point, you're about to reach for, uh, as Lenny Bruce would say, digitalis. <laughs> um, he'll go, you know, my uncle do used to say a carrot is like a mule because if you can't get one, you got to beat the other one. And you're like, what? What <laughs> happened here? And then he pulls the rug out because there's a donut and there's a thing and something happened in the corner. And with Barack Obama, uh, with President Obama, um, it's that it, it, his gravity is what uh, gets you because he takes his time on points mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all through the elections, both elections, including the one uh, with Hillary. I remember watching a stump speech from him in 2008 when I was playing Grand Rapids and I was at the Shackley Hotel. Can't remember the name of it. There's some big, not Shackley, what's the. Um, it's like they go door to door. Grand Rapids is a Republican stronghold in the middle of. 
Oh, yeah. It's because where Ford's from, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not the liberal part, because Michigan obviously has Detroit and, you know, it's pretty blue. Um, and I think, <laughs> in play, uh, not just in play, I think he's underwater there. Um, anyway, I remember watching the stump speech, and I hadn't really watched him give a whole speech before. And it was, you know, an hour long. And he's good, you know, like he, he's so lawyerly. Mm-hmm. The thing that I loved about him when he took press conferences and when he was in a serious situation, i.e. when Barack Obama went to Newtown, how emotionally was there when he went to the shooting in South Carolina and saying Amazing well, Grace. I think he was and he was just stunned. I mean, he couldn't believe that that this wasn't a turning point for, no. for our well, politicians, that the Republicans just weren't having it. And there are so many times where he just looks so uh, emotional. And, yeah. and grave because it, it is that serious. And I remember Bill Clinton going to a mass shooting site in um, uh, was it Georgia in like '94 and crying. Mm-hmm. And he was the first president that cried in public. And he said, "I feel your pain." And that was a really big moment for the media and a really big moment because a man shared his emotions and stuff and wasn't Herbert well, Walker. And Hillary was uh, pilloried for not being in Wisconsin, supposedly, even though she had been, because she she went to the Pulse nightclub Mm -hmm. massacre memorial to pay her respects to the LGBTQ people that were uh, shot down horribly. The the, the difference is that Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, have the um, capability to feel empathy and the... um, uh, they have the idea in mind that it's okay to show up and be emotional about what's going on there. Um, the th- other thing I want to say there's about... There's nothing else. I mean... No, being, a, 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 as we say in Yiddish, a mensch, a, right, human, a right, human being, a right. human being. But, um, but they're stewards of, of our... That's a very good word. Stewardship and governance are two things that you're supposed to do when you hold elective office. Stewardship means you look after the thing that you're... Uh, in charge of and governance means you have an idea that public safety is number one and mm-hmm. public health and that you have a responsibility to everyone even the people who hate you and want to shoot you mm-hmm. you have a responsibility to them too to keep them safe and make the world work the world has to keep working the world can't stop working because you're too lazy or crazy or insane or drugged up or demented or whatever the problem is that you can't make the world work anymore and we're limping along on some cylinders because we still have Nancy Pelosi all the Democrats in the House, all the women in the House, all the people that are working so hard every day at every level that are still protests mm-hmm. every day. There was mm-hmm. a giant one in Chicago yesterday. There was protests in Los Angeles over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Portland's protests went from being a terrible, messy media affair that they were trying to generate crappy campaign ads for, for 45, to a quiet, subdued affair where, of all people, the state police of Oregon stood down. When the state police came in and replaced the that ragtag group of crappy feds and uh, you know Eamon Bundy type weirdos, it, it was similar here when we had the weekend mm-hmm. of you the know, what they wanted to paint as a riot yeah. in L.A. and the National Guard came out and there were buildings on fire. Um, the minute the National Guard withdrew because of public outcry, everything went. Uh, back to a peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. And to your point, public outcry, the atrocities that the feds committed, that, that ad hoc committee of uh, ICE agents and D, uh, DHS or whoever, they, wherever and whomever they'd been pulled from without their names or no insignia, nothing, that crappy mismatched shoes in their rental cars, 
um, literally enterprise rental vans, you guys, is what they were using to stuff people. And by the way, letting them go right away because they mm-hmm. had no no legal standing. Those uh, firing the non-lethal bullets, as they call them, which, of course, blow people's eyes out, give people brain damage, whatnot. Oh, my God. Beating on our Navy friend, the line of moms, the moms, the vets, all that. The terrible tear gassings nightly and all that stopped because the public demanded it. Mm -hmm. They withdrew because the public demanded it. You notice you didn't hear shit from Chad Wolf or Ken Cuccinelli this week about how they're going to infest our cities and take over. And Seattle got canceled. Remember, they're going to send them to Seattle and Albuquerque, and that got canceled. That's a win. Isn't it weird how after uh, all the protests and people calling in and people paying attention and because people are... uh, those of us that can be home are calling into, for instance, here in Los Angeles, the LA City Council. Yeah, which that, is a great sport, by the way. <laughs> but but the, if you want to go LA LAist every so day and BLM every day, that uh, suddenly uh, our district attorney here, Jackie Lacey, is uh, proceeding with. Um, How many cases is it? Oh my God! I think it's it's uh, police corruption, but. They're they're talking to 750 defendants whose cases might have been messed with. And this is how long is Jackie Lacey? But I mean, yeah. my God, that's well, a she's lot. under enormous pressure right now. That they might have tampered with the, the police officers might have tampered with evidence. Surely not. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it's a scandal, but and they, it's a scandal the in every city. Are working, everything is working. Um, never ever let anyone tell you that protests don't work. I uh, was, because I'm a self-interested bag of shit, I was looking at an interview um, out of interest, and I don't know how I even found it. I cranked on it somehow hmm, while is, surfing. Where are we going with this? Uh, 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 the, the day that uh, 45 was um, sworn into office, I did an interview with a Vermont paper because I was playing Burlington that weekend. The Women's March happened subsequently, the first Women's March that you and I went on downtown here in Los Angeles. And I say he's a racist. And all of his followers are racist. And I'm not mad at the people who are right-wingers. I understand where they're coming from. It's the people on our side who remain silent about this that I that really mm-hmm. hack me off. And um, where I'm going with this was, uh, what were we talking about before? John Lewis's what? memorial? So, yeah, no, the, um, the idea that... Uh, you have to say something. You have to do something. You have to be something. Well, and it creates... It, it's a knock-on effect. It's, it creates an impact. But at the very it's, beginning, before he had done anything, the day he was sworn in, uh, it was already about all the things it's about now. Yes. Which is imprisoning people, blaming people, uh, uh, his his whole Nazi... Uh, well, that makes m- me you know, think Muslim of, thing, Africa ban, this ban. Can we talk now about... Um, the ACLU has a documentary oh. out called The Fight. And... Uh, it's well, really can I go back to Barack Obama for just Absolutely, one second? please. So Barack Obama, uh, we'll come back to the ACLU thing because we watched it the other night. It was great. Uh, John Lewis um, was a friend of his, and he met him when he was in law school, which is what I love. And he told that story, too. And then on the day he got into office, John Lewis was there, and mm-hmm. he went over to John Lewis and said... It's because of you, John. Just Can, can you imagine? Uh what I meant to say about Barack was when he took press calls and his weren't insane, rambling, weird, blamey, grievanceburg, I'm a victim thing. Never, not once, not once ever. Kind of the opposite. People would ask him a question and he'd pause because he would consider what he was going to say and he would think and weigh the words he was going to use. Unlike people now. 
by people, I mean 45. And by 45, I mean the unbelievable manatee that was golfing again this weekend while 157,000 people are dead. The life of John Lewis was, in so many ways, exceptional. It vindicated the faith in our founding, redeemed that faith, that most Americans of ideas... The idea that any of us, ordinary people without rank or wealth or title or fame, can somehow point out the imperfections of this nation and come together and challenge the status quo and decide that it is in our power to remake this country that we love until it more closely aligns with our highest ideals. What a radical idea. What a revolutionary notion. This idea that any of us, ordinary people, a young kid from Troy, meaning Troy, Georgia, Alabama. Troy, Alabama. Troy, it's, Alabama. It's south of Montgomery. Yeah. He was a, he was a representative in Georgia. He yes. was a, from Troy, Alabama. Can stand up to the powers. And, and by the way, Troy. Oh. I love it. The, the most famous war of antiquity memorialized by Homer. There's an Athens, Georgia and a Troy, Alabama. Mm. And many Rome's can stand up to the powers and principalities, that's very Barack Obama, and principalities, Mm -hmm. and say, no, this isn't right, this isn't true, this isn't just, we can do better. On the battlefield of justice, Americans like John, Americans like Reverends Lowry and C.T. Vivian, two other patriots we lost this year, liberated all of us. The many Americans came to take for granted. America was built by people like that. America was built by John Lewis's. He, as much as anyone in our history, brought this country a little bit closer to our higher ideals. And this is where he sounds like Lincoln. Mm. Someday, when we do finish that long journey toward freedom, when we do form a more perfect union, whether it's years from now or decades, or even if it takes another two centuries, John Lewis will be a founding father of that fuller, fairer, better America. I thought that was brilliant. Just. When I was listening in the car waiting for you, I was just, I, I just. Spine tingling. I had to write it down. It was exactly. It, it was just a moment and it was a powerful. He uh, quotes Lincoln within his quote. It's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. amazing. But to, to really take that in and make it reality. Mm-hmm. I think that that's our job. In America, to make John Lewis the, the founder of the better, fairer America. I agree. Cheers to that. Um, I went to Fox News. Hmm? Yeah. Because Fox News had an article about the posthumous letter from John Lewis published. And this is their headline. Posthumous letter from John Lewis published. Lewis expressed hope for the nation's future. I want you to know that I don't own only The Guardian and... And the troublemaking feminist times for all of my news. Uh, this is on the Fox News website if you want to look it up. When historians, and this is what John Lewis wrote for his posthumous, it's not an obituary, it's an epistolary from. Well, it's a call to action. It's isn't a, it? it is exactly a call to action. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate. And yet there he sounds like Reverend King. And uh, and at last that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirits of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. 
That's the last paragraph of the Fox News article about what he wrote in the New York Times. And I was like, okay. Um, he's, he's someone that no one can say anything bad about. I think when you always advocate for peace and understanding, there's probably a bigger place for you. As we've discussed, no matter how big of a fascist, um, you know, horrible bully you are, there's always people that like you. There's always going to be like a Mussolini fan club or whatever. But, you know, right? I mean, there's like this, you know, there's people who meet in L.A. on Hitler's birthday at this at a pub over on the east side at a German what? pub. Oh, yeah. No, there's white supremacists. You know, like they have. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying. But John Lewis, on the other hand, is, as Lincoln would have said, the better angels of our nature. Yes. Um, he really did believe people had an unlimited capacity for good, which is something I'm grappling with all the time. I don't know that. But it's not a philosophical question. It's an operative question, as you just said. Are you going to hear this as a call to action? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to continue to do nothing? Because you can do nothing. That's okay. Everybody does. But like, it's no, better it's not to, okay. Well, it's better to not do nothing because a person like a Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or John Lewis proves that it's better to not do nothing. Or all the women in Congress or all the mm -hmm. people that are protesting now. All the veterans and moms that showed up in Portland in a town that has 6% black people. Portland's 650,000 people. It's so white. Right, and Oregon was founded as a white-only state. It's the state the least it, black people matriculated yeah. to when the diaspora happened. Yeah. And there was a reason. They weren't welcome. Uh -huh. And on, But on the same tip, isn't it astonishing that that's the place where he sought... Uh, to find his, uh, 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 you know, um, uh, Reichstag fire and, and um, flame well, white people, and with, it didn't work. It but didn't the problem take. with hate is it doesn't have an end game. You don't have, you, you don't build something. No, there's not a lot of legs, as they you're, say. You're tearing everything down, and then what do you have? You have rubble and... Uh, you know, a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Right, and a bunch of crappy video of guys with masks on um, shooting the populace, which doesn't, as I think uh, John Lewis proved, as I think... You end up in a bunker. Emmett Till's mother insisted it doesn't, it doesn't end that well. he be in an open casket so that everyone could see. I mean, you have to show... On that fine, fine segue, let's talk about some live performing... We do it now, but we do it virtually. That's quite a segue. Over the Zoom. Yeah. Smooth. Um, I will be playing right here at the house, but, oh, it might be time for, right? I'm just trying to work that in there. La, 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 la. Right? Do you remember Rona Cameron? Of course I do. Rona Cameron was a comedian in England in the 90s. She was a small Scottish... she still is a comedian. Well, obviously. Um, gay. We, you and I were staying in a flat in a Bays, Bayswater, Queensway. And, um, was that when she headbutted a cop? No, that was... <laughs> That's it hadn't read the year before. <laughs> Rona was amazing. We had a lot of good times with Rona. No, she and I somehow must have done a gig together, and we uh, you weren't there for some reason. You must have been in L.A. or something. And I took her back to the uh, that crib we were staying at, and we played Ziggy Stardust and got drunk, and we just laughed our ass off. It was so much fun. I don't know why it made me think of that, because she knew all the words and was fucking uh, uh, singing them with her Scott, her Musselboro accent. Really quite out of sight. <laughs> um, Nowhere Comedy Club is a place where uh, comedians can convene in a rich, 
chocolate, relaxed nougat atmosphere. There's velvet couches, if you have one. Uh, there's your own marijuana and drink. I did a, a G thing with Ben Glebe, and I'm doing another one. What's coming up, Greg? Thank you for asking. Um, August 8th is a Saturday. We'll be doing the Smartest Man in the World podcast. Jennifer will be here, but she'll be over there. No, <laughs> not over here. <laughs> it's 10 clams until about two days before, and then it goes up to like 30 clams if you want to hang after. And yes, I do hang after, and we talk to everybody. And it's great. We drink and we talk, and um, oh my God, we've had people on boats. We've had people from the Midwest. We've had people from England. We've had people from Oz, um, Holland. It's just a smashing time. Uh, I believe uh, Galapagos. Well, our, our doctor friend who was in the Galapagos fleet, but I think they shipped out. I don't know where they are now. And he has he has sketchy um, uh, internet Satellite? to begin with, yeah. Uh, it's Saturday, August 8th at 6.30, my time. That's Proops, uh, Hollywood Proops time. Rock, rock, Holly rock. Everybody going to Holly rock. And this lists it as 6.30 to 6, 7.45, but you've heard me talk. It's 10 bucks till then. And uh, I think it gets to be like... 20 after that, uh, uh, when it gets closer. Anyway, you have a week, well, five days, to decide. And then... No uh, pressure. Oh, no, never any pressure. Uh, Glebe and I are going to um, crack out the jams again on the 21st. It's called uh, Greg and Glebe, it's a G thing. We improvise. The last one was pretty fun. Um, we had a really good time and a, a really lovely crowd. You guys get to right? shout suggestions at us, you get to type suggestions to us. We do characters and jokes and whatnot. Oh, is there politics? Not particularly. That's what makes it fun. It is uh, clown. Well, we did some politics, but it's it's a lot of clowning and uh, fucking arounding. That's the twenty first. And I, what time is that one? I've clicked on the link, but it isn't giving me. There it is. Friday, August twenty first, six. Ooh, woo! Get up early. Ooh. We're gonna have to pull our shit together, Jennifer. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the twenty-first, the eighth. Oh, by the way, I'm doing one in September as well, another podcast. And then there's all sorts of new surprises and shit. But what? Well, yeah, right. This one, right? Can I read something shallow? Yeah, I was um, try to turn this music down, but I can't find the thing. That, that's fantastic. I love that about you, Bridget Berlin. Uh, oh, has left. The building. Um, She was 80, which is kind of a marvel because I think she was on amphetamines as a child because her her dad was the head of the Hearst Corporation. Oh, my God. They wanted her to lose weight. So they gave her substances to set her on a lifetime of addiction. Okay. And By the way, tell us who she was. She was uh, in the Warhol crowd forever yes. and ever, right? Um, she was in several Warhol films. She was. Abs- she knew uh, Andy Warhol before uh, because she was such a privileged person. I think John yeah. John Waters hilariously said that she was uh, from a privileged class and was uh, we the Bohemians had her on loan. <laughs> right? It's true though. But it is true because I think she lived so long because she was such a daughter of privilege. Her uh, parents, her especially her mother, was mortified by her weight gain and Lyndon B. Johnson, the president LBJ? of the United States, weighed in on... Weighing. Oh, my God. He phoned her, didn't he, right? He, um, his parents said phone her and tell her she's too fat. Yes. And so he, uh, I guess, suggested a weight loss place in Mexico. 
Um, you mean what we used to call a fat? No, farm? Ima- imagine the pressure as a young When the girl. president calls you. And the fantastic thing about her, I mean, she's all kinds of complicated, but the fantastic thing about her was she was body positive at a time where that didn't really, that right. was not really happening. Mm-mm. And she turned it into her message. Right. She was not going to lose weight. In fact, she was going to pose naked. She was going to do paintings mm-hmm. with her body. She was going to make that a point. So she had She's her body. even in the Richard Avedon yeah. photo of the factory, the Warhol factory, half naked. Yeah. She just did not care. That's great. And that that is the most wonderful Is part. her name really... What's her... Her real name is Bridget Berlin, but they wow. called her Bridget Pope. Uh, um, she was in Chelsea Girls. Yes. Which I got to see in San Francisco in the 80s with On Dean narrating. And I don't know if he was high or if he... Explain the situation because I love this one. It was in a it warehouse was a warehouse, warehouse in San Francisco. Yeah. I think that that might have been how he was making a living at that time. Narrating showings of Chelsea. Touring with... Did he bring the film with him and whatnot? I, I have no, no idea. But... It was a small group of us, and the thing that was fabulous was it's, it's a quite... I like, I don't know if he was high. Well, I don't know if he was high or if it was the after effects of having been high a long... For 25 years. ...bit yeah. of his life. Um, but he never stopped talking during the movie, and it was Great. fantastic. Compulsive. It was compulsive, and it was fantastic, because it was just like, what is happening? And But what was the factory's greatest drug, the drug that they all took? Uh, speed. Yeah, it wasn't alcohol speed. or marijuana. They, speed. They speed. were all speeded out of their minds. And That's the thing that, that I can't so believe much. is that Bridget Berlin lived to be 80 and that she was on speed. I think her entire... Life. There's walk, even, me, walk me through there's the There's a Andine documentary the about her. Andine was in Chelsea Girls, right. as, as was Bridget. So I saw him narrate it. What about Jackie and... Uh, uh, Nico's uh, in it. Right. Um, the thing about Bridget is, I think because she was from, from so much privilege, Andy treated her differently. Like, almost an equal... And they were both so obsessive, hello, speed, um, that they were always taking uh, Polaroids of everyone, both of them. Which is instant gratification. That was the selfie of 1970. But but she was quite an artist in her own right. Mm -hmm. And she had many shows of her Polaroids. And they taped everything. And they would argue about whose tape was the original tape. Really? Which is unbelievably hilarious. she said, my mother wanted me to be a slim, respectable socialite. Instead, I became an overweight troublemaker. And then Pat Hackett, who edited Warhol's Diaries. I was just going to say, Warhol's Diaries, Bridget Berlin. Right, she's all deeply, over. yeah. Well, she's always there. Um, Andy used to say, if you ever want to learn what's wrong with you, don't look in the mirror. Give Bridget a glass of wine and she'll tell you. Oh, my God. <laughs> um Carolina Miranda in the LA Times said, uh, altogether Berlin's work was prescient of our age of body positivity and of that of social media compulsion to record our most trivial encounters. Right? She worked at Interview Magazine. I would transcribe interviews and then for many years I didn't do anything. 
I used she just showed up? No, listen. I used to knit a needlepoint under the desk. It wasn't in a job, so that's why I stayed there so long. Oh, my God. So when we had Bridget like Berlin's byline. Right. white privilege. Like, just, yeah. she, she's in two John Waters films. Right. She had exhibitions of her work, including in 2015. She also made needlepoints of salacious front pages. Um, there is an absolutely nuts interview with her. Uh, Legs McNeil, uh, please uh, don't. Legs me. McNeil, please kill me. Explain us who Legs McNeil well, is. There's there's an awesome book that's about all the punk characters, but from early, from right. the seventies, not just when punk happened. Right, it's, it's Iggy from, Pop yeah, and yeah. it's the Ramones. It's Eastside shit, Bowery shit, uh, and. So they sent her a copy. Yeah. Uh, and this is online on, on Please Don't... Uh, it's on uh, Please, Please Kill, kill me. me. Sorry. Or and, Please Don't Kill Me. You no, know, it's Please Kill Me. And Please Don't Kill Me. They sent her a copy for review. And they posted the interview where she just goes on and on oh, you, about Oh, my God, you read me things. that the other day. Where is that? And one of the things she's uh, on, on their site... She said, I had seaplanes and a house on Fire Island. This is before she's with the factory. I would go, I would be so outrageous that I'd go to Cartier and buy cufflinks for the husband and drop them out of a seaplane into the swimming pool. I ordered a hundred cold lobsters. I also ordered like a hundred boxes of poppers. Nice. And she married a gay. A window designer, window display artist. And at that time, window display in the early 60s in New York, window display artists were Robert Rauschenberg, Andy Warhol, and Joel Schumacher, amongst others. And so I I direct you to that interview if you're so inclined. Where is it? It is, please kill me. How do you find it on on the internet? Right, please kill me in. Well, in Bridget Berlin. Ah, in Bridget Berlin. Because you, you I was crying laughing. Because well, well, what I was going to say is, so they they sent her a book to review, and at the end of this, no, she Leviathan, <laughs> she's just you know like spilling everything right, about lobster story her everything. history yeah. of the sixties and and this and that, and then finally the the woman that that called her says, you know, I I called you. Uh, uh, about the book, we sent you the book, and that's the end. Yeah, I, I, I love that they cut it off there because yeah. it's just too funny. She never looked at the book. No, she did. <laughs> and hilariously, she was shocked by by people. Oh my god, I didn't know he was gay. Like, oh. no, really, really, really. She was in the center of all of it. You want to hear the sound of methamphetamine and perhaps heroin? Your shoes. If you want to order some lobster and some poppers. Lobster and poppers, this is the best Halloween ever. <laughs> Joel Sch- Schumacher in the... Was a window designer. She, she I just quotes like, as saying, this year it's all about orange and pink. What? Matching together? He came to her house to dress her. Right, because that's how like her life was. was, and somehow she managed to make it to eighty. Bridget Berlin, swirling, twirling. By the way, later she was thin. 
too thin and, and really strangely managed to morph into the Republican white lady that her parents wanted mm-hmm. her to be. That was weird. It was like, it's always in there, and yeah. there it is. Yeah, she didn't manage to uh, sage that out. Um, can I talk about some charities? Please, I'm gonna let me uh, fade this down while we get into some charities. Cheryl, wow! Wow! While we get into some charities, and two, three, four, Um, five, six. For instance, Watts Empowerment Center is a charity that people can look into. They provide uh, meals, uh, hygiene products. Uh, fruit and vegetables, and they connect locals to mental and social support in Watts and Skid Row. And uh, this one I found... How may I contact them, Jennifer? Uh, they're at youthmentor.org, Watts mm-hmm. Empowerment Center. Nice. The Confess Project is something I just found out mm-hmm. about, which I thought was really uh, fascinating they are all about trying to support black men and boys and mental health mm-hmm. in the South uh, specifically, um, but all across the states. Right. Uh, they have a, 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 a subgroup called Beyond the Shop, which trains barbers to become mental health advocates. And at first, that sounds like what? But some oh, states know. have no mental health right. groups to and, help. And barbershops are where... Um, and also, barber, some of the barbers that were interviewed, they, they said they had no idea of their impact. Mm-hmm. And they didn't also... they It gave them skills of how to listen and look for signs mm-hmm. and steer people in the right direction. And in the article in the Tennessean, it said that some guys spend five hours there just hanging out and one guy one barber said that he finally understood some guys who want to let other guys go first that they want more time now they need the communion they need the community right and a place where people are spoken to and listened. So and, and how beautiful this the guy that that it's developed a profound this, thing. It's not it's not at all I, no, it's just amazing. It's Lorenzo Lewis began the project in twenty sixteen to equip marginalized men of color with mental health strategies and coping skills to help them move past their pain. Lewis has ten years as a behavioral health worker and he was a formerly incarcerated juvenile diagnosed with dust. Depression mm. in Mississippi, which is ranked the bottom tenth oh. for mental health care yeah. access, approximately sixty black bar- barbers have been trained by this group in the past year to engage their clients in mental health discussions. And the Tennessean uh, article is by Andrew Yawn, and he said um, he he interviewed a barber named Antonio Wiggins, who said, "As a barber, people listen to our advice a lot, and the training just brought that out more." I didn't even realize I was helping people and how important that was. Uh, conversation is the whole essence of being there. Uh, they'll spend hours waiting and spending the day swapping opinions, vetting conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. debating grandiose hype, hypotheticals. I like that one. We like to say we're the black country club. You come to the barbershop and people automatically feel comfortable Is the barbershop talk. I've had clients who 
committed suicide, clients who had depression. Mm. This has made me pay attention more to different words a client might use, or if a client wants to let others get before them, basically they don't really want a haircut, maybe they want to talk more. It makes me pay more attention because it may be something that could save that person's life. Isn't this the essence of what we're talking about, and though, breaking down the giant... The governor of Arkansas has recognized the group. Mm. The American Psychiatric Association Foundation honored them with a Pioneer uh, for Advancing Mental Health Award. Um, it is just a beautiful thing. They also uh, work to highlight mental health, how it intersects with police brutality, LGBT issues, gender inequality, and more. Economics. It's called the Confess Project, mm. and you can... Uh, give to them online. You can look them up. You can Where may find, I find out them more. Where? The Confess Project. Ah. And I just thought that That's was... That's a beautiful story. Isn't it great? Well, Mississippi's so complex and well, no, it's, it's so not poor. Just Mississippi. It was started in Arkansas. Right? Uh, I, I dig. And uh, the uh, having it, the uh, everyone who does your hair has an intimate relationship with you. Yes. But it's even more intimate in that regard that people hang out there all day and stuff. Well, we love our hairstylist. I mean, we yeah. have a long relationship we're, right. with our hairstylist. You confide in them, you I mean, tell them yes, what you're you doing, tell them, and they and, tell you. They're... But also, I mean, imagine their burden. So to give them with the skills to oh, yeah. maybe, so they don't have to feel burdened too, you know, give them with some some skills to handle that right. heavy situation. Um, is no, it's profound. Everything. And so that's called the Confess Project. Um, and the other thing that I was reading about today was a man in New Orleans was really hit by a, a story of a kid being shot in oh, New Orleans, yeah. a, a young child. And his name is Shamar Allen. And so he has a group that distributes guns for trumpets. It's an exchange program, and he calls it Trumpet is My Weapon. Bring me a gun, and I'll give you a trumpet, no questions asked. Well, it just started as this small thing. Right. But he spoke to the mayor of New Orleans, and he spoke to the police department, and he said, well, you have to understand, I'm going to hand these guns over to you, and you can't ask me anything yeah. about... The no, no, guns. right, there's no word this come from, yeah, who, no. word, who, a neighborhood, who, what person. And the thing that he couldn't believe was the first gun he got was a very little girl who gave him a loaded gun, and he said she was the most ex excited to get a trumpet. <laughs> and he just couldn't believe. Yeah. And it sounds like... You know, he's only given four trumpets away. Obviously, he's one guy. But because of the story, because of it getting press, because of him reaching out to the mayor and others, other musicians have come forward and really? say, like, we'll donate mus musical instruments yeah. in order for, for, for kids to give up their weapons <sighs> is a really beautiful thing to do. It is isn't all. And and that's uh, Shamar Allen in in New Orleans, and it's uh, called Trumpet is My Weapon, and it was on uh, NPR. Is there a website, Mona? To help keep New Orleans safe. Trumpet is My Weapon? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, in L.A. County, uh, 
you know, we live here. Uh, we've really? all been, yeah. People are, you know, as we say, cooped up with one another. Um, the LA County Safe Line, when the home isn't safe, 1-800-978-3600, 1-800-978-3600, or publichealth.lacounty.gov stroke DV Council. Um, you can call and whatnot. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, the fire. Uh, okay. I want to do a couple okay. candidates here. Uh, Terry Canefield uh, is a sort of activist type, and she's on uh, the Twitter. But uh, she has a groovy list here, and you can go to Terry Canefield. Um, is that a, would you call that a hyphen? Blog? I'd call that a dash. A dash, dash blog. Um, and it's called uh, Things to Do, uh, so that you don't fall into a funk. And I think a lot of the things she talks about are really good. Make sure you're registered to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, become a voters' right activist. Become an institutionalist. Um, let's see here. Uh, official voter registrar, you can do that. You can volunteer at voting places. That's um, important. Help Joe Biden. Joe Biden is standing between us in four more years. Donate to charities and other groups at the border. And this is the one that I wanted to read you because I thought um, it was a really good one. Hillary Clinton um, has a um, ActBlue site. ActBlue puts the fear of God into um, the GOP. Well, it's they, organized, isn't it? And the, uh, down ballot. That's the thing that's important. Mm-hmm. Vote in every election, local, state. You know, it's all important. City, yeah. county. Uh, Climb every mountain. Um this is Hillary Clinton's list. Al Otro Lado, American Civil Liberty, uh, excuse me, American Civil Liberties Union, Asylum Seeker Advocacy Project goes on and on. That's at um, uh, secure.actblue.com. Donate Kids and Families Border. If you go to Terry Canfield's article, you'll find all of the things you can do. It'll make you feel better. Um, and it's been um, a year since the enormous shootings in El Paso and Dayton. And I remember where I was. We were in Washington State and we were gigging and it was a terrible night. And the very next uh, podcast we did was all about having people call Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. Because there's gun control bills. And that never ends, by the way. You should always call your uh, local representatives, but also uh, you can call Mitch McConnell. Uh, The House of Representatives number is 202-224- 3121-202-224-3121. The U.S. Senate's number. Um, by the way, it's house.gov and senate.gov. Um, let's just look up. It says contact. Huh. Choose a state. Let's choose Kentucky. Yes, but remember the local offices are easier to get to. They are, and they answer more. And so... Mitch McConnell is, of course, at McConnell.Senate.gov. But if you go to his website, uh, there's lots of different uh, offices that he has. Oh, look what he did. He snuck them. He snuck them. Yeah. And for those of you who think, oh, my God, why doesn't uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi do more? Um, The Senate is run by Mitch McConnell. And he's stymied over 400 bills that the Congress has already passed. So they're all there ready and waiting once this is a different playing field. I think he switched his website around a little bit here because this is the contact. And then all of a sudden, the categories that you're able to contact him in 
are really wild instead of uh, like request a Washington DC tour. Things are so crazy that uh, yesterday I read that Michael Jordan, the basketball player, yes, legend, has donated two point five million dollars to the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, the formerly incarcerated convicted peoples and families movement, and the Black Voters Matter movement to combat voter suppression. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, it is. It's fantastic. And by the way, um, let's have a minimum of talk about what if he doesn't decide to leave and stuff. I'm I'm not sure why everyone thinks he can um, govern by fiat, by tweet fiat and whatnot. The reason there was that whole uh, I may not leave uh, voter, uh, you know, voting by mail's uh, tweet that he did the other day was because uh, he's underwater everywhere and the economy's tanking. And everyone knows it. And he's, he's a master of chaos and distraction. Part of the active measures are that your attention be um, taken away from the matters at hand and well, I don't, thrown I, into his chaos. I don't want to say the obvious, but... England and the U.S. have a major Russian interference problem. What? Yeah, it's bad. And, and that's it. That's it. Well, no, no one wants this. But understand that. It's not, um, you know, there's a lot of thieving going on. Jared and Ivanka are stealing. Everyone's stealing. Um, there's been a terrible... I hope they'll be happy in Saudi. Yeah, I'm going to have a good time. You want to do yours or you want me to do mine? Cool. Okay. okay. Uh, a load of people are running for office that are so worthy. Um, the big goal this time, of course, is to have an enormous blue tsunami. A blue wave that's so conclusive that uh, nothing can stop it. Not the media, not, you know, the suppression of the post office, all the terrible things that we imagine are going to happen. Emily'sList.org. The featured candidates this week are Lucy McBath. She took over Newt Genrick's district. Her son was killed in a gun violence accident. She's running for the U.S. House in Georgia. Kendra Horn in Oklahoma. Nothing's more important than getting Oklahoma to understand that it would be really beautiful if they could have things like health care and gun control. Um, uh, Jatel Torres Small, we've talked about her before on the U.S. House in um, She's running for a congressional district. Her, by the way, her first name is uh, X O C H I T L Torres Small. This is Emily's List dot org. Higher Heights um, mission is to um, elevate Black women in politics. Desiree Timms is running for Ohio District Ten. Lucy McBath, who we've just discussed, she's in Georgia's sixth. Lauren Underwood. Oh, she's gotten so much done. In she's... Illinois' fourteenth, she's an extraordinary congressperson. Um, here's another. Um, you know, Twitter is such a beautiful place where so many weird things can happen, and it's also such an awful place where. Uh, oh, that one's not good. Uh, here we go. I'm switching off of her for just a moment. Julie Oliver is in. Um, Texas District 25. She was homeless and pregnant and alone, and she had to steal. Um, in any case, if you go to her uh, website, it's julieoliver.org. The cat she's running against is named Roger Williams, and he's been uh, a, a congressperson for a long time. Here, why am I uh, hipping you to Julie Oliver against him? He has twenty. He's worth twenty-seven seven million. He's one of the wealthiest members of Congress. The coronavirus um, 
funds that were doled out by Menenchen and whatnot, he received bailouts for his personal businesses and he accepted them. That's what we're talking about here. That's who we're dealing with here. Um, the Dallas Morning News reported Roger Williams Chrysler Dodge Jeep dealership in Weatherford received an unspecified amount in federally backed small business loans as part of the Paycheck Protection Program. He's one of the richest members of Congress. So uh, the old white guys are really trying. I think everything's in play. Don't believe what anyone says to you. I think he's underwater with everyone. Obviously, there's just stealing. There, there's, there's a. Uh you know, horrible performances of uh, militarized pseudo-cops, and they're they're stealing with foreign intervention. John Capehart, uh, Jonathan Capehart, uh, who's a columnist in UCLA and MSNBC, did a very good column. Uh, Pat Timmons uh, is running the Democratic candidate for North Carolina's 8th Congressional District. If you go to uh, Jonathan Capehart's Twitter feed today, he was on um, the Joy Reid show, and he talked about all black women candidates. Aja uh, Winfrey, and um, congressional candidate, Alabama the third. That's A-D-I-A, Dr. Dia Winfrey. We can change this, and soon. Janine Lake uh, is uh, running in, uh, what state is that? Indiana, the 6th. Janine, J-E-A-N-N-I-N-N-E-O-N-E, Lake, Lee Lake. Go on. Um, We watched a documentary the other day about Michael Tubbs, the mayor of Stockton. Oh, He's quite young, and he made a joke of it in the documentary that everyone mentions his age because he's still not 30. Right. um, Which is wild. Yeah. But Stockton was a town that... Is in California, and it was really written off. Uh, it still had, is, as far as I'm... I was joking, sorry. And he came back after going to Stanford. He he was... Uh, he had that sense of duty to his town, and he ran for mayor and won, and he's a 20-something black man who's the mayor of Stockton who is behind a, a universal basic income who has reformed his the police there um, because the town went bankrupt uh, they completely redid their whole police force and their mm-hmm. police chief Eric Jones apologized to black church congregations yeah. which is uh, unheard of and yes. uh, Michael Tubbs is really, uh, he's, he's such a, a serious, lovely person that's dedicated to his town. Mm. And he knows everybody. It's a small town. And mm. his father is in prison. I don't know. I'd say there's a couple hundred thousand people there. It's oh, a, yeah. It's a medium-sized California town. It's kind of important. It's the closest giant farm you know, town to San Francisco. But the idea, the people that work with him too are, are people. How patronizing that went, was that? I hope wow. everyone in Stockton really appreciates yeah. that I yeah. characterized it as. You the, might want to redo that. I played Stockton many times. Modesto too, Fresno too. I, I'm thinking there might be some awesome Basque food and some uh, awesome Mexican food. There's a lot food. of awesome everything in the Central Valley. Um, the thing that that's uh, informative in the documentary is that someone 
that that people were surprised that that someone would come back mm-hmm. and take care of business and that he brought other people he inspired other people to yeah. come back and that that's like a through line in the documentary is that I did such and such. I, I got my degree. I came back to Stockton. Right. And the, the picture is called Stockton on my mind, which yeah. is hilarious because Stockton, wow. In California, Stockton's known as a, you know, Central Valley place. One of the guys that, that is in it, he did a long stretch of time. And he is, is a community outreach person. And the beauty of it is, like, how hands-on the whole situation is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Tubbs and his crew, they go out there, and they know people. They know the neighborhoods. They are looking after people, and they're making big change. Yeah. It's really wild to watch. And he's kind of, like, he's become a, a made it a lab for other uh, the the mayor that's coming up for Baltimore is asking him for advice. Mm-hmm. Like he's making it a template for other people to. This is how you do it, and I think it's because he's built this this wonderful group of people that he can trust, and they do community outreach. Right, which is the basis of everything. Everything isn't that why Obama. Is yeah, known for his that that exact exactly. I mean, it is just this is how you get things done, and he uh, is he has a scholarship fund for kids. Uh, in the documentary, they uh, they interview a couple of kids that uh, they reach out to to give them uh, a scholarship fund to to steer them to. A future. Yeah, it's about funding education and uh, giving that basic income to all those selected families or randomly selected families in Stockton. It, it's really a revolutionary thing and also precedes what's going on now, which we know this is all has to happen. Well, also the, there I, has to the be. idea of a, a basic uh, universal income. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. It's not crazy. Because we were talking about it before, I, I had looked up about. Um, it's the city council in L.A. that can stay evictions, by the way. And the California legislature uh, does have the ability to uh, vote on giving people some money to stay afloat during this oh, really? time. But they haven't done it yet. Uh, no. So, you know, stop screaming outside of the mayor's office, <laughs> his house, because that's not what's going to happen. We'll do what you do. But the Michael Tubbs uh, documentary, I, I totally uh, recommend it. It's called Stockton on My Mind. Yeah. It was on HBO. And he's a really uh, beautiful person. Let's talk about uh, the ACLU documentary, yes, Fight, please. for a second. It was on the other night. It's called The Fight. You can find it um, in a lot of places. It's on Prime Video and whatnot. We watched a picture the other night, and it's about um, all the ACLU lawyers and what they do, mm-hmm. which is take up these gigantic cases. Well, it was about uh, four cases. It was about uh, Lee Gellert, who was working on family separations. Yeah, that one's heartbreaking. Which was just the most heartbreaking. Bridget Amiri, who's the dep- deputy director of the ACLU's Reproductive Freedom Project. 
And she was working on a case about a pregnant teen from Central America who was prevented from getting an abortion in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, Dale Ho, who was working on uh, trying to remove the citizenship question from the U.S. Sentence, right. census. Sorry. Or the sentence. <laughs> census. Uh, for me, it's like a sentence. For others, it's like a census. Chase others Str- are counted. For me, it's just I count the years. Chase Strangio and Joshua Block, who are working on the ban on transgender people in the military. Right. And the thing that's it, it gives a context to how hard these people are working, how important these issues are. Right. But also that it has seemed like, what, 50... 500 years since the Muslim ban. Oh, my God. Because it begins with that. And you just think these people are so beautiful for making it their life work. And and spoiler alert, one of our dear friends, Jessica Herman Weitz, works for the ACLU. Surely not. (laughs) Yeah, surely not. Um. This is a, a topic near and dear to our hearts. I mean, Tony Romero, the head of the ACLU, is a beautiful person who really believes in these issues. And they fight like tigers. And, uh, you know, you see them crestfallen. And when Lee, uh, when he, Lee Gellert comes out of the detention center and he can't, connect this child with their mother yeah he's really you know no, lost pe- yeah they're people and they're uh they need uh funding this is a, a non-profit i mean this is a really beautiful thing that they're doing you'll like the picture if you watch it i think uh because it's well put together and it's well drawn and it also you know, shows the urgency of all the, the different elements that Jennifer's just talking about. Urgency. I don't understand why the Muslim ban and separating children at the border was not enough for people. We had to wait until there was a pandemic. Um, you're asking quite a lot of uh, the, a lot of people that I know. Wow. I need you to back off. Jimmy Heath. <laughs> Jimmy Heath has a record out. He's um, he he left us in January. Um, he's a beautiful person. You're gonna dig the record for real. It's really good. We listened to um, it today. Uh, occasionally, Jimmy Heath was uh, roommates with Coltrane, and he would uh, temp for him in Miles's band. And of course, he was known as Little Bird mm-hmm. because of his small stature. Um, he was the, the small Charlie Parker. He was just a beautiful person. The fact that he made it until his 90s, uh, he, he wrote a memoir called I Walked with Giants. And he, his last album is quite beautiful on Verve. It's called Love Letter. Jimmy Heath is swirling in the heavens. We will all march together into a better, fairer, fuller future. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. I am an armadillo. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that you earn be a cool papa bell. If you have to buy bonds, 
make sure they're Bobby Bonds. 